The journey of life is long and winding, and in a year like 2021, it can be easy to just let life happen to you. So let's take a look at the stories of ancient Israelites in Genesis. If they had a vision for their life, perhaps we can begin to envision one of our own. So what do you want for 2021? Take a moment, press pause, and when you're ready, join us as Pastor Corey Marquez leads our conversation. Welcome back from your groups. I would love to hear what you want in 2021. In our group, we were saying wow. how much we just want big shit. We all want big shit. <laughs> right, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, and that, exactly. And, and I was going to just uh, add on with, with Jess and with um, and Noel in our group. I'm kind of enjoying the freedom of not so much not wanting things, but the freedom that comes from releasing myself from feeling like I got to be tied to pining after something or, or, or chasing after things. And maybe it's uh, maybe you just sum that up by saying I'm, I'm wanting more freedom which is a nice thing. Yeah. I know that um, Doug and I really want to build the bridges between the affirming and the non-affirming churches. So I think what Jess was sharing really hits close to home because we're traveling those bridges all the time and trying not to get them blown up, you know? So it's very, very disheartening to hear about your circumstance, Jess. And I think some of the conversations we've had are exactly because of those landmines, so... I'm very sorry for you. And it's a big loss to their community as well. Try not to get the bridges blown up. I just feel there's like, so hard. Hi, Sam. Hi, Rob. I was just saying that my uh, my goals are probably, you know, things like to help Erica to get back to work and um, and have less pain and uh, being able to um, continue healing in uh, helping other people heal, whether it's through the podcast or relationships I build here um, through Navi and um yeah, I just feel like, and also to continue the work that um, like actually getting stuff out from the Q worship stuff. So it's like, I feel like I don't know how to not dream big. <laughs> so it's like, I was like, are there any small goals? <laughs> nope, they're all huge. <laughs> I love that. This is a bit existential, but I would like to stop surviving yeah. and actually just start living. That'd be great. <laughs> Hey, that sounds more than existential. That sounds pretty incredibly important. Along those lines, I kind of want more stability um, with regards to like my income and feeling somewhat more independent from my parents. Yeah. Actually a lot more independent, not somewhat. <laughs> Everyone's been there at some point. So it's a, it's a powerful one. 
I was saying that I really uh, would like to find a partner and I'm really good at accomplishing goals, but this isn't something where I, it's like training for a marathon where you're just like, I just do X, Y, and Z and then ta-da, it happens. Like, it's just, it's very mysterious and I have to let go of control some, which is very hard for me. Matt, didn't you say your goal is to fall in love at a Mexican restaurant or was it just a Mexican restaurant that was your goal? You know, I'm I'm okay with either or both. Uh, yeah. At least some chips and salsa. All right, I was gonna say if you're gonna fall in love, margaritas aren't a bad backup plan. So that's a good one. I love it. Well, you all said a lot of uh, important things, and it's a question that I ask myself a lot, and that I'm really engaged with with leaders that I work with or different people. Um, in different environments and different jobs they have, including pastoring. I believe that we all need to take seriously that question of, of what do we want? That this is your only life. Uh, you don't, uh, well, sorry about that. I'm changing my, my gallery there. I was like, just staring at myself. And I'm like, where did everybody go? Um, this is your only life. And only you get to ask the question of what do you want? There's not a, a second life that you live. I hope that you have some big, crazy, wild, extravagant goal. It's not existential to want to stop just surviving. It's not crazy to have big dreams. It's not wild to want to fall in love. It's not nuts to want to have your own income and to not be dependent upon your parents. It's not an audacious goal to believe that affirming and unaffirming churches could work together to tell a bigger story of who God is, that our dreams should be bigger than ourselves and should propel us forward. And so to do that, to think about uh, what's ahead and to know where you're headed, we're gonna do some things. And so we're gonna talk about Mars, a story I've shared a lot in the last year. We're gonna talk about the journey of Genesis because I've been in the book of Genesis for a while and I love it because it's a bigger picture and narrative that tells a larger story of the people of God. And if we can understand the story of Genesis just a little bit better, then maybe we can have a clarity of vision. If we can get some clarity of vision, then we'll do a little bit of neuroscience and talk about our reticular activators, which got everybody excited on a Sunday evening at 5.22 p.m., and if we can talk about our reticular activators, uh, then I think we can continue to ask ourselves some bigger questions of what do you actually want to tell yourself? Uh, only you can tell yourself your journey and your narrative of where you're going. And in doing so, then hopefully we can create our lives instead of reacting to them. Uh, we can think about how we reclaim our time. We can think about the relationships that we have. And if we can do that, then we can take some risks and change the world. So. Let's do some things. Mars, uh, I became obsessed with this about a year ago because I heard Elon Musk on a podcast and he was talking about selling all of his mansions in Beverly Hills, a problem to have, I know. And he had bought up an entire neighborhood of mansions because he wanted to build for himself a Tony Stark Iron Man mega mansion as one does when you're a billionaire. But he sold it all because he realized it's a waste of his time that he has one goal and his goal is to get humanity to Mars as one does. 
And by focusing on even rehabilitating these mansions, which I know is an incredibly privileged problem to have, it was distracting him from his very ambitious goal to get humanity to Mars. Now, all of our goals may not be as privileged or entitled or as opportunistic as Elon Musk's, but we should have wild and audacious goals. And if we're going to have wild and audacious goals and dreams for our life, right? If we're actually gonna be authors of our own lives, uh, then we need to get really clear on our vision. And the truth is that we do live in 2021 and there's probably plenty of distractions for all of us um, that are getting in the way of the clarity of vision that we actually want to have to actually create and be the authors of our lives. So to think a little bit more about that, we're gonna get into the book of Genesis. So if you've got an old school Bible like me, um, or you've got some phones or uh, the internet, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, verse 12 goes like this. This is the account of Terah, and Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka, now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Talk about some life verses. Uh, good stuff. Good content here. Uh, let's pause for a second when looking at this story. There's a couple things going on here that are worth noting. There's all kinds of layers that happen when you read the Old Testament and you think about the journey and the narratives that are taking place. Right, how, right now we're reading a story about Abram and Sarai and a nephew, Lot, and that's where the story of Genesis will go. But this was an oral story that was passed on for probably a thousand years before it was actually written down. And when it was written down, is written down in a time of captivity and exile when the people of God or the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. Now, I know you're like, man, thank you so much for putting us to sleep on a Sunday night by talking about Babylonian captivity on a Sunday night. Uh, but the Babylonian captivity is incredibly important for the people of God because almost the entire Old Testament was written, actually put down while in captivity, which is an important narrative that the Bible was put together by marginalized people for marginalized people during oppressive times. That is a powerful tool. It is wild that we have the Bible today. It should blow your mind that in 2021 in Los Angeles or wherever you're sitting right now, we are reading books of an Israelite Hebrew community from thousands of years ago who were dominated and destroyed by every superpower the world has ever known. The truth is, is that we should be talking on a Sunday afternoon about some story of the Babylonian gods or the Egyptian gods or the Roman gods. We should be talking about more powerful gods and more powerful armies or more powerful uh, empires, but we're not. We're talking about oppressed people and how from a fancy word, anthropological standpoint, this is the only people group in the world where after 
their God was defeated by another God after their country was taken over by another country in the ancient world, that they maintain faithfulness to worshiping their God. And they believe that there was a greater story about who God was, that this God wasn't violent, that this God wasn't here just to empower those who were powerful, that their story was about reclaiming and creating a different revolution about who God is and who the people of God are. So if you bear with me just a little bit, we're in the Babylonian captivity and the people of God start to write down the books of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In uh, Judaism, we call that the Torah. It's like the gospels. These are the stories of salvation for the Jewish people of God. And you, when you write these stories down, what you're doing is you're re-editing them, you're rewriting them, you're retelling them in a way that gives you hope for where you're at in your current circumstance. Have any of you ever gone back and read your previous journals? And how many of you vomited in your mouth after reading those? Yes, right? Praise God. You're like, wow, I said that. That is horrific, right? I, I, I keep this one journal around uh, that I read to my wife like once a year just for like kicks and giggles. And it's when I was in evangelical college. Does anyone remember the, the author Joshua Harris? Anybody ever read I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Oh man, that was some real magic. And uh, yeah, so I would read my wife, uh, I would write her love letters and I read those back. But thank God that you evolve. And when you evolve and when you grow, you look back into your life and you tell yourself different narratives about who you are. You tell yourself helpful stories, you reinterpret history so that you can move yourself forward into the future. So what's happening here in Genesis 11 is that the people of God are in captivity in Babylon, but now they're writing down their stories and they're trying to connect themselves to their past. And they're trying to connect themselves to the reality of the fact that they have been defeated. They have been beat up. They have uh, been marginalized and oppressed and they're trying to make sense of their lives. And Heather, they're not just trying to survive, that they actually want to thrive. They actually want to have a vision and a hope for where they're going, but they're doing that in the middle of an incredibly difficult place where they're not even in the promised land anymore. And all of Israel, their promise is predicated on the fact that they maintain living in the promised land, but their temple, which is where they believe that God actually lived, has been destroyed. And they are now exiled into another land. And so they're making sense of their lives and they're making sense of the vision that they were given. And so even in those little details back to the story where it says that Haran died at Ur of the Chaldeans, that's Babylon. So for those early readers of Genesis, they would have heard that and they would have said, ah, look, even our forefathers and foremothers, they were in Babylon once too. And then they left and they went to the promised land. If they had a vision for where they're going, then maybe we can have a vision for where we're going. When you go back and you read your old journals in your life, you read, oh, I remember when I wrote this journal down and I never thought that I would get out of this. I never thought that this relationship would heal. I never thought that I could come out to so-and-so. I never imagined that my life could get any better. And then it did. And so you go back and you look at those stories and you remind yourself, you give yourself a different vision for the future. 
and where you could possibly be going. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon, otherwise, to go to Canaan, aka the promised land. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Imagine that you're the people of God in Babylon. Everything that you know and love has been taken from you. You're in the darkest, most difficult situation in your life. And so you're telling yourself a story of when God showed up, when God had something for you, when the details connected here is when your life was barren, when you had no future ahead of you, which is what the ancient world thought of anybody who was barren. It meant eternal life in Judaism meant you had the ability to have kids and grandkids. So this is a story of saying they had no eternal life ahead of them. And when they thought that they had no eternal life in the middle of a pandemic in 2021, God showed up and actually had something to say in their life, which is what I love about this story. This is speaking to any people or individuals in a moment where they hit rock bottom. I spent many years in 12-step groups with addiction. I know what rock bottom is like, and I know how powerful it is to imagine that there could be hope, that there could be a vision for my life forward, that even after the Lutheran church fires me for being gay, that there's going to be a better future, even after losing $1,000 a month, knowing that other people are going to step up, that bigger stories will be told, that new Abbey North Hollywood will grow because people need this story and this community and this vulnerability and this authenticity. And so a year from now, you're going to look back on these moments and believe, man, we even got through that. God spoke then, and we had somewhere else to go. We were given a vision, even when we thought we had nothing. That's the power of these stories. And what God says is, I will make you, Israel, into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I just want to pause there a second. When God is blessing Abram, this is eventually a blessing, not just for Abram, but this is a blessing for the nation of Israel and the Israelites, the people of God. And so when they're in Babylonian captivity and they're rereading or re-looking through their journals of the past, they've gone through some things. The actual word for Israel just means struggle. How much more authentic is that than what many of us were given growing up in our conservative environments, where we were told that faith is certitude or some type of absolute, yet the whole story of the Old Testament is one of struggle. And how many of us, struggle doesn't have to be bad. Struggle can mean evolution, growth, transformation, figuring it out. And this is a story for us to do that. And what God's saying is, I want to bless you, which I know many of us are a little exhausted of like hashtag bless, um, but we want blessing in our life. We can reclaim those words. And the power of these words are, I'm giving you a vision, Israel, so that you will be blessed, not just for the sake of you being blessed, so that you will go bless others. 
I'm giving you a vision for the barrenness that you're experiencing right now or the exile that you're going through right now so that you'll remember these moments and you'll remember that I gave you a future, I gave you a promised land, I gave you a vision and that you actually went and lived into that vision. And so verse four, so Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. And Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the tree of Morah at Shechem. And I'm going to stop there. What that passage is saying is that God gave Abram and then the larger story, God gave Israel and then the larger story, the people of God in the larger story, all of humanity, a vision, right? That even in the times where life feels barren or that you're in exile, God wants to give you a vision for your life, that this is your actual life, that God is inviting you in to be a co-creator with this God in the vision of your own life. That God did not have to invite Abram or Sarai or Lot or Israel into any vision, but God did. God invites us to be a part of the story. And then we have a choice how we want to respond. And this story is saying that Abram and Sarai and Lot responded to the story and then they arrived in the promised land. And here's the power of that story. They arrived in the promised land to a land that they did not yet own. They arrived into a promised land filled with Canaanites, which is the ancient way of saying there was still a lot of bumps in the road ahead for the vision that they actually had for their life. That you might have a vision to get to Mars, so to speak, but there's a lot of steps that will be taken to get there. You might have a vision for your life to fall in love, but there's work that you'll do to become healthy and to be transformed so that when you are in love and you do meet that partner, that you're the best possible partner for them as well and the vision for their life. That you might have a vision to not just survive, but hopefully that when your life is doing these other great things, now you have the ability to inspire others in their own existential crises to give them a vision to move forward. But that doesn't happen in a moment, that there's stages to this journey and to the vision that we might have for ourselves. Clarity of vision is huge. I'm a big believer that we need to name the things that we want and the vision that we have for our life. I'm not going Tony Robbins on you in this moment, uh, and nor am I going a Pentecostal church, although if you want to name it and claim it, I'm down for it and you do your thing. Um, I am going to go neuroscience on you, though. And I want to talk about the reticular activator. The reticular activator is a part of all of our brains that sorts out information. And the reticular activator only sorts out information that you tell it to sort out. It is in service to what you want it to find. How do we know this is true? How many of you have at some point in your life wanted a very specific type of car? Some of you don't want cars, I guess. Well, pick the thing that you wanted, right? And when you pick that thing, what happens to your brain is, if you say, I love Toyota Camrys, what's fascinating is on the road, what do you start noticing all of the time? 
Toyota Camrys everywhere that you go. There are hundreds of different makes and models of cars on the road, but the car that you notice is the one that you told your brain to go find out. That's what your reticular activator is doing. That part of your brain is sorting information all of the time. It's saying it's hot or it's cold, or I'm tasting this, or I'm smelling this, or what is this person's face? Why am I interpreting what they're saying? Um, we are always sorting out information based on what our reticular activator is doing. Many of us find ourselves in patterns where we get into relationships and we say things like, oh, this always happens to me. I will always be broke. These are always, why do these things happen to me and not to other people? Why is it that two different people can watch the same movie and some person will see joy and goodness and one part of the movie was speaking to them and other people will see difficulty and pain and hurt and that that movie was speaking to them and that part of them. And the reason for that is our reticular activator is sorting and finding the information that we want it to find. So we have a choice of what we actually want to tell ourselves. And part of what we can tell ourselves is, I'm gonna fall in love. I know that sounds a little uh, name it and claim it, but when you tell yourself, I'm worth uh, being in love with, I'm worth being known, I'm going to lead worship for other churches, right, that affirm me, I'm going to have a steady income this year that you begin to tell your brain to sort through that information. This is real neuroscience. And what happens is it's not scary that, it, or here's one of the scary things is, your brain isn't just sorting the information that you're looking for, your brain is also not telling you things because you haven't asked it to look for it. So there might be people in your life telling you how amazing you are and you're missing it. I do coaching all of the time with people and uh, I'm a good Enneagram three. So I love um, doing and creating and moving forward at a thousand miles an hour. And Enneagram threes love uh, like words of affirmation and we're horrible at receiving it. And another Enneagram three that I work with in coaching, she has had all of these people in her life tell her what an amazing job that she's doing. And the, in this moment, one of the things that we're working through is that her life is just riddled with anxiety. And one of the things that we had to talk through is that she's been telling herself this journey of I'm anxious all the time. And then we paused and she started just telling herself, I actually, I'm doing good things. She leads this incredible nonprofit. And then she began to recount, oh my gosh, for the last year, I've been receiving all of these messages from my board and from my team and from the people that I'm serving. And they've been telling me what an amazing job that I've been doing. I just haven't been hearing it. And for how many of us are we not hearing God show up? Are we not hearing other people who are trying to add to the vision of our life because we're not telling ourselves or being honest with ourselves about what we actually want or the vision that God might have for us. So the vision for Israel here is two parts. One vision is God is inviting us to co-create and that God is trying to, to bless or offer goodness, right? And that out of that, God is giving the opportunity for Israel to go be a blessing or to help others create as well. And so as I heard each of your visions or the things that you want, you want to do good things in this world. So here's some takeaways that I have in this passage of what I believe that God invites us into, what God has always invited humanity into, is that we have a choice. 
Do we either want to create our lives or continue to react to it? If you look at the last few years of your life, I would bet a lot of money that God has invited you to create a lot of different things in your life, that God is giving you an invitation for a bigger vision for your life. And we are made in the image of a creator. We are not made in the image of a reactor. And we don't have to choose to keep reacting to our lives this year. We can say, you know what? I do want to have a relationship and we can choose to be active in the creation of that life. Can we control the outcome of that? Of course not. But how would you rather live this year? Living into the creation of that vision or feeling like you're reacting to everything that's coming your way? I think we have the ability to reclaim our time as we uh, have a clear vision of who we are. In the ancient Israel story, one of the most powerful things that's going on here is that all of the Babylonian gods who were oppressing the Israelites, the stories that they told about time were incredibly secular, cyclical. And in those cyclical stories, what would take place is that the gods chose a few people to lead and everyone else to serve those kings and queens. And so everyone was just born into a certain fate in life. And their view of time in the world was there's no escaping this cycle. So I guess this is my lot for life. There's no hope or future for me. So when Israel reads the story of Abraham, it's an invitation to break out of that cycle. Your cycle doesn't have to be stuck. You don't have to be there forever. And what Israel is hearing from God is you get a chance to go live your vision. And even more, when you thought it was too late, you thought you were too old or too far gone, or those opportunities weren't for you anymore. You were barren. There's a laundry list of things of why you couldn't have this vision for your life. And Israel hears these stories and says, you don't have to be stuck. You can have a bigger vision, a promised land. You get all the metaphors that the Bible is leading towards here um, for your life. You can have a bigger story. If you can commit to being a creator instead of a reactor, if you can choose to reclaim your time instead of just being constantly busy or feeling stuck, we can also choose to have relationships. And our relationships help with our vision. I love this story is not just about Abram. Abram by himself is not going into a promised land. Abram is going with Sarai. Abram is going with Lot that we need others to live out the biggest visions that we have for our lives. Would you invite other people into your relationships because you're creating the actual life that you want to live? If you don't invite other people into your relationships, then you might continue to live in resentments that no one's ever there for you. No one's ever willing to care for you. No one ever wants to support you. But maybe it's an opportunity to step away from those resentments and that narrative and say, today or this year, I'm going to take a risk and invite others into the vision that I have for my life, that we might go to that promised land or that vision together. And if we can do that together, then maybe we can take some bigger risks. And the story of Abram and Sarai and Lot is they took a massive risk. They were settled in another land, is what Genesis 11 has for us. They were comfortable somewhere else, but there were still things missing. There was still a bigger vision, clearly, that they wanted for their life. Uh, they were barren, which is, again, the biblical way of saying they had nothing left. 
and they chose to take a risk. What are the risks you might be able to take this year if you invite other people into healthier relationships in your life, if you're able to reclaim some of the time that you have? Um, and then in doing so, if you can do those things, uh, then how might you change the world? And I think that's the largest invitation that we're all invited into. I know the vision for New Abbey North Hollywood is about growth and transformation. And um, one of the things that we add in, in Pasadena is this final word of maturity. That maturity is great. I got my promised land. I'm living into my vision. I'm able to tell my story in a bigger way. Is my story inviting others to tell their story? And that's my hope for you, North Hollywood, is that as this beautiful community continues to cultivate relationship, as this beautiful community continues to create and to reclaim time and to invest in relationships and to take bigger risks in the world, like shaking the boat at a Lutheran church that needs to be shaken up, would you change the world together so that in a space like this, you can come and tell that story and have others who are going to support you on the thing that's next. There we go. So my question for each of you is, where are you going um, in 2021? And I want to end with that and send you out into some groups and for you to answer that question of where are you going in 2021? Enjoy. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Instagram at New Abbey NoHo. And if you're interested in giving to New Abbey NoHo, feel free to head over to www.newabbey.org slash generosity. Be sure to scroll down to the North Hollywood Fund. Thank you, and have a blessed week.